again, beating Clayton Kershaw. Unbelievable. Uh, we just don't have time to talk about everything we need to talk about, but that's going to do it for us. We're already uh, over our time. Uh, for Morris Fabry, my name is Mike Lewandowski. Stay tuned for Gray Matters. We are going to leave you with a good night and a go blue. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The sports department would like to thank you for your continued support of the University of Michigan Student Radio. Moss knocked over Campbellini, winds up and he scores! Just Campbellini lets a laser go from the near side circle, and the Wolverines take a 1-0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Campbellini. I repeat myself when under stress. So Adrian Blue, keep listening to WCBN FM right here in Ann Arbor. Yo, Adrian. Sex, sleep, eat, drink, dream. Well, it's uh, about 6.30 p.m., and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. Armageddon. Well, I don't think it's going to be Armageddon, but uh, when you have Republican congressmen openly talking about the default not being such a bad thing, I just uh, am wondering what planet they're on. Well, you'd you'd also think that that's got to make the corporate uh, elite extremely anxious as well. Yeah, and this has been one of the sideshows of this whole uh, debacle, uh, is is how uh, mainstream corporate america is uh, beginning to distance themselves from the republican party politically they're obviously losing this game that they're playing and it is a game uh john boehner just simply won't schedule a vote i don't know why Uh, he's speaker of the house and that's his job now uh, a lot of allegations have been made over the last week that i want to just sort of dispense with first of all let's give out a brain damage award to congressman ted yoho that's his name, Yoho. I thought, what? Why not? Yahoo. <laughs> Why not? Yahoo. Yahoo or Ho Ho or Yo Yo. Uh, this guy is a Republican congressman from uh, Florida. He actually believes that the default will quote stabilize the world economy. Uh, and then the other thing that was amazing was he was interviewed last week on National Public Radio, and, and, and in the process of the interview, he talked, he said he talked to some economists. Now, this guy's in his former life, apparently was an animal veteran. Veterinarian, I should say. Not to be confused with the real veterans. No need to talk about the World War II memorial. But ironic that Ted Cruz and uh, one other uh, fellow that uh, escapes my uh, recollection showed up yesterday to participate in storming the barricades. They're the ones that are involved in the shutdown. 
so to speak. Although the Senate, I think it's quite uh, clear, is uh, willing to cut a deal. I think that might be the good news coming out of uh, the uh, so-called negotiations that uh, some congressmen keep claiming haven't occurred, when in fact they've occurred dozens and dozens of times over the last several years. But I was kind of wondering who these economists Ted Yoho talked to. Were they like hippopotamuses and uh, <laughs> maybe Shamu? Maybe he went to SeaWorld to do some... Uh, A correspondence course in undersea economics. Like, okay, what planet is this guy on? Um, wh what will happen with the default? Well, we don't really know. Uh, the, the American currency, the dollar... And the bond market has always been a tad mysterious, I think, to the public at large, and even to people that study economics. Kind of fascinating to see last week that Janet Yellen is named a new chairman of the Fed when Bernanke's term expires. And the market actually went up considerably that day. Uh, she's viewed as an accommodative dove on monetary policy. But the uh, Federal Reserve is out of ammunition regarding accommodative policy. They're at this point down to purchasing uh, mortgage-backed securities from some of the troubled banks around the globe, and that's about all they can do at this point. Now, I mentioned last week that the uh, British went off the, uh, the gold standard back in 1931, and the results are always going to be unpredictable. Um, the New York Times, for instance, had an interesting examination of when does the American government actually run out of cash. Uh, and it shows that uh, between the 22nd of August, uh, October and the 1st of November, uh, there are serious problems because uh, they have to make a $58 billion Social Security payment on the 1st of November. Uh, this includes Social Security, Medicare, and military benefits. These are mandatory programs uh, under uh, federal statutes. And Congress is, as has been pointed out repeatedly, not actually increasing the debt. They're increasing the debt borrowing level. It's sort of like going into your bank and asking for an increase in your credit card uh, limit, mm -hmm. so to speak. This money has already been appropriated. There are also $12 billion in Social Security benefits that are due on the 23rd of October. And this analysis by Ann Lowry in uh, Thursday's New York Times shows that on the 17th of October, which is the date that everybody's talking about, the Treasury will have $30 billion in cash plus daily revenues. And this is where uh, people are getting confused about how the Treasury works. Yes, the Treasury takes in money. It's not taking in much money from our national parks. They're closed. Yep. And people all of a sudden have a lot of focus on the national parks. Some states are even uh, making uh, efforts to take over the national parks and run them as state enterprises. Indeed. Like today we heard, for instance, that the Statue of Liberty uh, is going to be opened up by the state of New York. They are going to pay the $61,000 daily to keep the uh, Statue of Liberty open. Um, in the report, by the way, they, they stated that the Statue of Liberty produces for about 5 million visitors a year, including mostly foreign people, mm -hmm. 
$175 million in revenue. So the Statue of Liberty makes money. So shutting it down is pretty dumb. Ditto the Grand Canyon. But that's Yo-Yo for you. I mean, Ho-Ho or Yo-Ho is his name. He's one of the teabaggers. And I would look for him uh, to be back in the uh, occupation of animal veterinarianism. Because he's likely to uh, lose his seat, I suspect. I don't know what part of Florida he represents, but uh, it must be a charming place to live. Uh, But anyway, back to uh, the the, the consequences of this. Uh, It's ironic that I've been reading a book called The Battle of Bretton Woods. John Maynard Keynes, Harry Dexter White, and the Making of a New World Order. I've been reading this book because when Richard Nixon was president in 1971, we went off the gold standard ourselves. We went off the gold standard during the Depression. And uh, we have since 1971 been on a floating dollar exchange program. The reason that the American dollar is supreme is that it is regarded by international bankers and sovereign nations who buy and sell bonds uh, as the most reliable currency. And this is now being jeopardized by a bunch of yahoos in Congress. So when... With severely misguided notions about uh, how economics work. Yeah, and it's not even part of our real problem, the debt. I mean, you you can do some tweaking with some of these entitlement programs. For the record, by the way, Social Security is funded by payroll taxes. Mm -hmm. It is not bankrupt. Uh, Its solvency has declined quite a bit, thanks to the fiscal policies of George W. Bush. Well, this book uh, written by... uh, Ben Steele, uh, and published by the Council on Foreign Relations. Interesting, uh, since they are a sort of mainstream Washington think tank that uh, consists mainly of conservative Democrats and so-called moderate Republicans, points out that what happened when Britain went off the gold standard, says, as late as September, I'll read from the book, as late as September 10th, and we're talking 1931, Just 11 days before Britain's exit from the gold standard, John Maynard Keynes was arguing publicly in the Evening Standard for import controls as an alternative. This was the most conspicuous example of how Keynes, trying to have it both ways, cultivating his status as a free-thinking public intellectual while staying within the bonds of what the government, which assured him in the constant limelight, considered responsible public commentary on the most delicate of economic policy issues. Britain's commitment to sustaining the international status of the pound sterling and the city of London. Well, he goes on to note, uh, on September 16th, a mutiny of sailors at Invergordon, enraged by news that they faced wage cuts of 25%, triggered a run on the pound, Two days later, the Bank of England informed the government that it could not sustain convertibility beyond a few days. September 21st, Chancellor Philip Snowden took Britain off the gold exchange standard. The pound would fall by 30% against the dollar by the end of the year. So while uh, the results of uh, default, and that of course is a technical word, at this point are unpredictable that's kind of likely what will happen 
will have to devalue the dollar uh, considerably. The dollar may no longer be used as an international currency to price oil, for instance, and may not be used as a reserve currency that sovereign nations hold in their central banks. So it will have unpredictable results. And I don't think it's going to stabilize the global economy. Uh, it will probably cause a short-term recession here in the United States, probably cause an international financial panic of some sort. And where the white knight comes from, I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be Ted Yoho. Or Ted Cruz. Or uh, Ted Cruz. <laughs> who uh, also bizarrely showed up uh, protesting... Uh, the protesters uh, who uh, congressmen uh, trying to get arrested to uh, show their support for the immigration reform policy. Of course, Ted Cruz is kind of a double immigrant because he's Cuban-Canadian. So you figure that out on your own time. Um, but yeah, the, the failure to grasp the distinction between a debt ceiling limit and debt itself yeah. is, is really at the heart of this. These are as you say, you know, ambiguous, somewhat nebulous concepts, but they're very different things. And the debt ceiling limit has really more to do <clears throat> with just basic uh, business practice. Uh, the bookkeeping and the ledger accountability of a business is very different from a personal household. Uh, and I think that's how uh, the tea baggers are looking. Well, if the country just ran its budget the way I run my small business or my own household, uh, then things would make a lot more sense. But it just simply can't be that way. And when it comes right down to it, the debt ceiling uh, extension has more to do with the concept of good faith. Yes. Will the United States follow through and pay out on its obligations as mandated or will they not? And uh, cash flow. And, you know, let's face it, most businesses uh, just barely break even and maybe they make their money all at Christmas time or at art fair time or whatever uh, the local um, <clears throat> big spending splurge is. Um, but whether or not your business uh, makes or loses a little bit of money, uh, the future of the business is to determined on the consistency of the cash flow through. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have the money to buy the goods uh, that you will provide to your customers by selling them to them, or do you not? Do you continue to pay your bills and, and you know satisfy your uh, creditors, or do you not? Well, if you fail to do that, you're out of business. Well, and so many businesses rely on credit and rolling over. Rolling over, exactly, because, uh, that, it's, again, good faith. Yeah. These guys have paid their bills in the past. Uh, we're going to extend them a little bit of credit here so they can uh, invest in some things, settle in some stock for Christmas time. We know they're going to pay us back later because they've always done it in the past. And that's simply what this is about. And Charles Lawton in a lot of British movies was frequently seen shopping at the, the, the local British shops in those sort of grainy black and white movies. He would be picking up a pound of sugar, a pound of tea, and probably a leg of lamb, mutton probably. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, he would ask for credit at the uh, at the shop. Yeah, Hobson's Choice is a, one of those excellent films. Always uh, kind of an English gentleman, and the shopkeeper always said, "Well, he's always paid in the past. Sometimes a little late, but uh, we'll charge him a shilling or two extra for a paying late." Now, Paul Ryan, of course, has been in the news. Uh, they've come back to him because uh, they've got so little that he's the best thing on offer. Well, he 
comes across as reasonable compared to the teabaggers. Right. Uh, now, he wrote an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal on the 9th of October that got a lot of media attention. And I want to point out some of the falsehoods that uh, Mr. Ryan uh, is engaged in in this essay. Uh, he, he, of course, is, uh, was the vice presidential candidate in 2012 and is likely to be a uh, front-runner type in the 2016 election, though I've always argued it's very difficult to run for president from the House of Representatives, particularly when you uh, see that the House of Representatives is now down to 5% approval rating. Well, uh, as, as he proved, it's it's even difficult to run for vice president from the House of Representatives. Yeah, and what did we, a couple of weeks ago, note that it, they were less popular than things like boils and... <laughs> Lice. <laughs> it's amazing stuff, but uh, John Boehner uh, doesn't seem to pay attention. He starts out his essay, he says the president is giving Congress the silent treatment. He re is refusing to talk, even though the federal government is about to hit the debt ceiling. That's a shame. Blah, blah, blah. Obama's done plenty of talking. There have been over five serious negotiations since 2011 about this budget stuff. I mean, this idea that there haven't been negotiations or Obama's not talking is a bunch of rubbish. He writes, the 2011 Budget Control Act largely ignored entitlement spending, which, of course, is what Paul Ryan wants to cut. That, of course, is a very vague term, entitlement spending. We know that the government doles out quite a bit in corporate welfare and defense contractor largesse. Um, but as, as he puts it, the nation's biggest challenge. He says the two political parties have worked together on entitlements before. In 1982, Social Security's uh, trustees warned Congress that the program would go bankrupt within a year. If it had, seniors would have seen an immediate cut in their benefits. Instead, Congress passed a package of reforms. And this is where he's, he's wrong. He says the most important of which was an increase in the retirement age because Congress phased in this reform over time. There were no budget savings in the first five years, but through 2012, the savings were $100 billion. In the next 75 years, the Social Security's actuaries expect these reforms to save $4.6 trillion. Well, alas, Paul Ryan, ever loyal to the Republican, does not point out that the actual compromise in 1982 was the increase in social security taxes individuals and businesses had their taxes doubled mm -hmm. those are the facts that's how the social security trust fund was reestablished on firm financial footing he omits this fact from his discussion oh because the very concept even articulating the words tax increase is just anathema yeah and there might have been some minor reforms in raising the retirement age. I think it probably did happen that they went from 59 and a half to 62, where you can retire early and mm -hmm. collect Social Security benefits. By the way, this is something you don't want to do, uh, unless you are Charles Lawton and can purchase mutton on credit, because your, 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 your payments are going to be significantly lower. Uh, that's the deal that you make by retiring early. So the retirement, the retiring early aspect of this history is minor. What's significant is the tax increases that occurred. And this is why Social Security during the Clinton years, in which 22 million jobs were roughly created in the 90s, 
that's why the solvency of Social Security went up to uh, 2051 and whatnot, and why it immediately began to decline under George Bush. So we're not having any honest discussion of why we have this debt in America. Instead, what we have are a bunch of competing uh, narratives, uh, countervailing narratives, and a lot of historical rubbish. Well, and this continued mantra that's just recited endlessly that Obama won't talk, he won't negotiate, it's, it's a done deal. The Obamacare thing is they lost the vote, the Supreme Court upheld it, uh, and to uh, argue otherwise is to just bang your head on the wall. Exactly. And then, of course, he goes on to assert and falsely that he says we should also enact pro-growth reforms that put people back to work, like opening up America's vast energy reserves to development. There's even some agreement on taxes across the table. Where have you been, Paul Ryan? There's been an energy boom under Obama. It's called fracking. Now, it's controversial. It's got environmental issues that I think need to be studied more scrupulously but we hear these new reports that america will be quote energy independent by 2017 well i don't believe that and i find it troubling that we are actually exporting diesel fuel now uh, out of uh, texas and louisiana to foreign countries foreign countries why are we importing oil at the same time that we're exporting processed diesel fuel uh that's troubling to me we should be Exporting no oil. Well, and of course, to continue to pursue a petrochemical... Of course, it's refined oil, but... Right. Uh, so there's a value-added thing there. But uh, why we're continuing to pour all of our resources into the petrochemical uh, energies, uh, rather than... <clears throat> because those are going to dry up eventually. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, down the line years, down the line decades. Uh, the other technologies are more long-term sustainable, uh, and certainly fracking is, uh, to say controversial, is, is to put it mildly, it's a rather startling prospect. Now, to say that there isn't wasteful government spending is, uh, well, that goes without saying. Here's an interesting example. Um, in reviewing a couple of books on uh, the, in the uh, 23rd of May edition of the London Review of Books, a writer named Puja... Bhaktia, and I, alas, don't have her uh, cr career credentials here because I tore this out of my, uh, my copy, uh, discusses Haiti and the situation regarding the, uh, the uh, earthquake there several years ago that caused so much devastation. Uh, we are talking here about a 7.0 magnitude earthquake that killed... Uh, 316,000 people. There have been lawsuits, by the way, at the, at the United Nations regarding the introduction of cholera uh, into Haiti uh, by the Nepalese uh, UN troops. Very interesting international legal dispute. Uh, the title of this article is What Next? Locuses. Of course, she goes into the uh, rather uh, hapless history of Haiti, which is uh, very troubling indeed. Uh, recall, of course, that uh, Haiti, uh, back in the 1820s, had to pay France massive sums in compensation for losses in the slave trade. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, after the disaster, um, international uh, groups uh, at a conference pledged $8.4 billion in aid. 
Of the two point, and of course most of it didn't arrive. Uh, she points out that these are frequently happen uh, with uh, pledges that don't materialize. She writes, of the $2.4 billion in aid dispersed in 2010, 6% couldn't be accounted for. Uh, 1%, $24 million, went to the Haitian government. The rest went to agencies and organizations based in donor countries in the United Nations. Nearly half a billion went to the U.S. Department of Defense, which spent a million dollars a day maintaining a nuclear supercarrier in the Bay of Port-au-Prince. 3.6 of that was spent on repairs to Navy helicopters and the rest on many assorted bizarre sundries, $194,000 for audiovisual equipment from a store in Manhattan, $18,000 on a jungle gym that costs less than 6000 online and thousands on a kitchen implements. What earthquake fallout prompted the Coast Guard to pay $4,000 and 62 uh, $4,462 for deep fat friars, years of Haitians' income in early 2011. So you can see there's clearly wasteful government spending all over the place. And what she's highlighting here, of course, is that it's the Haitian people that are suffering from this sort of bizarre uh, government spending so to speak well and the argument could be made although not in such uh extreme uh conditions as of course haiti is one of the most miserable places on earth uh to be born into uh but here in america we've got uh equal kinds of misplaced spending uh schools in detroit are crumbling and uh yet there's plenty of money for uh, military uh, expensive toilet seats on aircraft carriers. Mm -hmm. you know, we've all heard those stories before. So there's always that kind of money that just sort of mysteriously floats up and out into somebody's pocket and away from the very people that it's intended to help. And, of course, tens of billions of dollars can't be accounted for in either Iraq or Afghanistan, yeah. um, wars that uh, most of the Republican Party voted for. Uh, with great enthusiasm, but it's most troubling when you realize that 24 million went to the Haitian government, half a billion went to the U.S. Pentagon. There's something wrong there, quite clearly. Uh, what will be done about it? Nothing. Where is Daryl Issa? Where's his congressional investigation? Ah, uh, nowhere to be found. Sad, but. Alas, true. And of course, we've, uh, you know, exhausted the subject to some degree of the ongoing negotiations that have been occurring for well over a year and a uh, well over, yeah, two years. Because remember, the last uh, debt ceiling crisis was back in August of 2011. Right. John Boehner seems to have this thing where he negotiates with Obama and then he goes back to his uh, caucus, his raucous caucus, sounds like a, there might be a song in that, and they tell him, no, and then he doesn't know what to do. Uh, he is a man who can't figure out whether to put a, a belt on his pants or suspenders, because he's not too sure what's holding his pants up. And of course, as uh, Henry Fonda observed as the evil character Frank in... Uh, yeah. Uh, 
Once Upon a Time in the West, how can I trust a man who can't even trust his own pants? That's right. And that's, oh, that's, <laughs> that's Boehner, John Boehner to a T. That's Boehner's problem. Well, of course, a lot of the, you know, uh, fundamentalist uh, teabaggers uh, and, and who are the loud ones, the squeaky wheels, uh, a lot of the quieter Republicans who are more sane and more reasonable uh, have anxiety about future primaries. Indeed. And, oh, well, I'd be teabagged from the right uh, if I don't go along with this ridiculous assumption that shutting down the government is in some way a good thing for the American people. Just to let you know, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'd like to thank Andrew for engineering this evening. One of the most invisible people, by the way, in this whole uh, congressional, uh, I don't know, who dang party, uh, that you can't figure out where is this man, is Dave Camp. Dave Camp is a congressman from Michigan, and he's chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Huh. That used to be the most powerful position Indeed. in the House of Representatives. They were the ones that actually had the gavel to determine what the heck was going to happen with the government. And I haven't seen Dave Camp anywhere. Now, I, I've heard there are rumors that he wants to run for Senate. So he's probably hiding under a mushroom somewhere up in Cadillac, Michigan, uh, trying to be as invisible as possible. Waiting for this to all blow over. I don't want to take a stand. He's got to be under a mushroom somewhere. Well... Usually when you play baseball and you split on the road like the Tigers did over the weekend, you feel pretty damn good. So, very sorry to hear about that meltdown last night in the 8th and ninth inning by the Tiger closer and some other bullpen characters. But you got to feel good that the Tigers are still going to win this very interesting series with Boston. So I highly recommend tuning into the Tiger game tomorrow and just tuning out this Congress because they are... A undeclared national federal disaster. Stay tuned for Yazoo City Calling coming up next. My dad was a radio technician during the war. So uh, I started building crystal sets and uh, when I was a kid and uh, I was so excited it almost sounded like for me, if you build your own radio and then you turn it on, it's like you've also produced the music. Uh, you, you make a connection with it that you don't make when you go to the store and buy a radio. Uh, so I felt like all the songs that came out of the radio, I had a, a lot to do with them. And some of them stick in your head for a long time. WCBN-FM Ann Arbor building radio you can make a connection with. Good evening. You're listening to Yazoo City Calling on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This is our weekly dedication to early American blues musicians represented on the phonograph records and field recordings of the first half of the 20th century, broadcasting to you live every Monday night from 7 to 8 since 1988. My name is Weston Hughes. Jerry Mack is away this week. We begin today's show with a recording made by Noah Lewis Jug Band in 1930. This is uh, Ticket Agent Blues. But before we start, I'd like to remind you that if you would like to make a request, you can call 734-763-3500, and I'd be glad to take your call. But without further delay, Noah Lewis's Jug Band here in 1930, Ticket Agent Blues. Mm. 